Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech and language pathologist. Well, hi, Laura Mize. It's your long-lost <laughs> podcast partner, Kate Hensler, <laughs> developmental interventionist. How are you this evening? I just want to say we're back. We're back. <laughs> yes, it's been a long time. A Started month. The UK I'm... basketball and then national champion. National champions, I'll give you your moment in the sun. Just go on and gloat a little bit. Oh, no they, they, gloating. It they was earned fun. It. I'll it was give so you that. Fun. They were the best team. I think pretty much everybody knew it. So they did what they were supposed to do, and they won. It and was then, fun. Then what? Oh, then we've had Bill's Uncle Jim very sick, and then he passed away, and we've been doing all of those things. So we've been real right. busy with that stuff. So. But hopefully well, things have settled down and we'll be home and, um, you know, getting back to our normal lives. So. I hope so. It kind of feels like that. Our youngest turned 16 this weekend, so we've had a weekend of celebrations. And it is nice once you've kind of done a lot of out-of-the-ordinary things to just get back to normal and get back to your routine. And this show has become a routine for me anyway, and I think it has for you too. So I'm excited to be back and get us back on track with that. Well, let's have at it. What's the topic for tonight? Well, tonight we are picking up where we left off a month ago with talking about building verbal imitation in toddlers. And this information is all from my new book, which is uh, on pre-sale right now. We always, before a product comes out, try to run a little sale for people who want to get it early uh, and that has been, those sales have been great. I'm always excited to see emails and names that I recognize, so that's kind of fun for me. And you know how I am about names. Once I know you, I kind of remember your name forever. So, <laughs> Which makes it a good pair because I really have a hard time with names. And I, I'll have to say, well, now, which one was that? She'll say, you know, she saw so-and-so and she has long hair. And, oh, Yeah. You remember everything except the name, so you're, you're my savior in that area. And sometimes I remember the name and not much else, or the name and what city I know them from, or how I know them. So that's kind of, that's kind of fun for me. That's been kind of fun. But there is a pre-sale uh, going on until the book ships, which I'm hoping will be that last no later than May first. Hopefully, that last few days of April. Well, so, and I was happy to see a glimpse of it on your therapy tip of the week. It's like, there it is, and I even I recognize that picture on the front. So I'm looking forward to having the actual thing in my hands. Our little friend is on there, yeah, and that um, that's very exciting for me. And I did mention it in therapy tip of the week, and that's another thing that I've inadvertently taken a hiatus from over these past few weeks, but we got that going last week, too. So if any of our listeners have not seen Therapy Tip of the Week, um, that's a little feature that I do on the website where I have a topic and introduce four or five toys or activities that relate to that topic. And last week's topic uh, was toys with keys. And boy, aren't those popular with our little friends. They're, that's always Certainly a hit. Are. 
Yeah, I had, I had all but one, your little shape sorter thing, which was cute. Of course, now I'm thinking, do I need yet another shape sorter? But <laughs> I don't have one. one with keys. Is that new? Oh, the the one at the very beginning. Right, the, right. The ambi- yeah, I bought that because it's a good um, introduction to keys. And it's easier because it's one key and one hole and one door. Right. And so, you know, in all of my Amazon browsing, I thought there's a real place for that. That's pretty cute. That, yeah. yeah. I like that it had a ball, too. That was cute. I did, too. That was my yeah. favorite part. And once I saw that, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, it's only 12 or $14. Maybe. I was going to say, how much, how much more am I spending on yet another toy? <laughs> It's cute, though. It is very basic, but it's cute. I could see where a lot of kids would like it. Even kids who could probably do a little more would be interested Mm -hmm. in it, at least for a time. Yeah, it's pretty cute. And I liked it because Mm -hmm. the key is attached, and so there's no real fumbling around with that because a lot of times our little friends with motor planning problems don't even really know how to hold it. It, it's attached to a string, which is attached to the toy, which is good for okay. me, so I don't lose it. Right. So it's. Uh, I think it's a winner, but we'll see. I've only played with it with one little guy, and he wasn't that into it that day, but that wasn't really anything related to the toy. So. Right. right. <laughs> but I think it's a. I think it's a cute one. I think it's a winner, especially if you have lower functioning kids, kids mm-hmm. who or really need kids, that early. Yeah. yeah, that early kind of level. So. Therapy Tip of the Week is on there, and it's back up and going, and I was happy for that to resume, too. All right, I love so Therapy Tip of the Week. I think it's really cute. I don't know why. I just think I always enjoy watching them and thinking, oh, I could use that. <laughs> I think it's just two different ideas, and what I try to do on it is make it not basic. Like, sometimes I'll forget to say the basic thing. Like, on last week's, I forgot to say, and as soon as we wrapped filming and you know, we decided, okay, that was good enough. We're not going to shoot that again. Johnny said, Laura, you didn't really say that you should do hand-over-hand assistance if a kid yeah. has trouble with the keys. I was like, ah, that was the main point. <laughs> one of the main points. But it's so funny, but I do try to make it so it's not so basic so that therapists get different ideas and new ideas, and even if they've worked for a while, they think, oh, yeah, that's right, or even therapists who aren't speech pathologists who are looking at it, you know, can generate some new ideas and think about maybe using a toy in a different way. So, And one of our friends that uh, comments all the time on uh, TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page, and we've become email buddies, my speech pathologist friend, Yvonne in California, and she said she has Animal Hospital, but she never puts toys from one toy to another. She keeps the toys that go with the set, so she only plays with those plush toys with animal hospital. Yeah, she doesn't you, really... you taught me that a long time ago. I yeah. got rid of those plush toys. <laughs> well, I don't like them because you can't wash them. Right. And then and I kids just... don't like them as well anyway. They love right. those plastic, you know, rubbery figurine things. I don't yeah. know why, but they love them. And I fit in whatever a kid likes. If they like characters, that's what I put in there. If they like... Uh, animals, if they're into, if the mom says, gosh, we've been loving our zoo pass. Boy, we've been to the zoo three times. I think, oh, here we go. I'm going to break out the zoo animals <laughs> and put in there. <laughs> you know, or if they like trains, you can do something else with the trains besides have them in on, you know, with the tracks. So it's a fun way to kind of switch things up. And I do like it when it's kind of a surprise. Sometimes I will put animals in there and then have, 
something totally different in one of the doors. And I love it when I can sort of see that a kid gets that, like, <gasps> Yeah, know, like what's that, that doing in there? <laughs> yeah. And I think, boy, your wheels are turning. I love it. You're doing categories and you don't even know it. So, yeah. That's always well, a fun thing, too. You talked about um, doing verbal routines with that, and I do have a verbal routine that I do with pretty much all of my key toys. And I just woke up long, not long ago, so my voice is even worse than usual, but I'm going to give it to you right here. Are you are you ready for this? I'm ready, and this is going to be a perfect segue for tonight, so go ahead, give it to me. Okay, I pretty much, well, certainly always with that parents one that's the animal hospital, but even other ones, like I have that little um, the house thing where one goes in the other. Anyway, I say, take the key and open door, open door, open door. Take the key and open door, my friend, and then whoever it is, you know, Macy. I do that with pretty much all. You've just turned into quite a singer now, haven't you? And can you believe I did it with this froggy just woke up for my nap voice? Yeah, I I use that one. That's cute. I love it. I love it. I don't even know where that came from, but somehow it stuck it's with to me. to the tune of London Bridge. Yes, yes. And it's very know. cute, and it's so repetitive, and it's I a great know. way to help a kid receptively really understand, okay, I'm going to get the key, and then I'm going to open the door. You know, you're doing it over and over and over, and I bet you have some kids that try to fill in those words, don't you? I do on occasion. I think I that that was born out of, trying to get them to attend to it a little better and I learned, I decided that if I did that little song in a really animated way it kind of held their attention a little better and you know I kept love them it. with it a little better so anyway I love it. just thought I'd share that I love it it is adorable and now I will now be using that too <laughs> That's well, really anybody cute Anybody else who wants to feel free just don't, no copyright uh, infringement. Yeah, don't huh? say anything. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I made it up or I heard it somewhere or something, but it just seems to fit, and I, it's easy enough that even I can remember it. So there you go. <laughs> That's really cute. And it is one of the things we're going to talk about tonight, if we get that far, using <laughs> verbal routines to help a child learn how to imitate words. And we've this is our fourth show in this series, and if you haven't been listening or didn't listen in February and early March, you may not know about this series, and you may want to stop right now and go back and listen to the show with Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers Part 1 so that this makes sense. But the whole theory behind this is when you have a child that's not talking, so many times that child needs a lot of in-between steps to be able to imitate words. And a lot of adults, even therapists, go straight to words when there's little evidence that a child understands anything or any kind of imitation. So you start way back with imitation with objects with actions, and that's really how we teach kids to play. And a lot of our friends in early intervention aren't good players, and they haven't really learned how to use toys in an appropriate way. And so when you start with this approach, you kind of kill two birds with one stone, and you're really laying the foundation for helping a child learn how to talk because you're teaching him that core skill, which is imitation. And so over these past several weeks or the past several shows 
we've talked about every one of those levels. Tonight we're up to level five, which is imitation of exclamatory words. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> Couldn't resist that little joke there. And <laughs> it was a good one too. I amuse myself sometimes. Had to, I'm not even going to tell that off story. But anyway. <laughs> Exclamatory words, a lot of times parents, and again, sometimes even professionals, will miss that a kid is doing some of this or trying to do some of this. You might hear when a kid starts to clap and say, ah, I always think he's trying to say yay, his vowel is just off. You know, or or if I hear a hoo, I'll think, oh my gosh, I can turn that into woohoo. Or yoo-hoo or whatever. You know, and sometimes kids will give you a hint that they are ready for this sort of thing when they when their little faces light up and they may even do a gesture like a gimme five or hold their little you know, pump their little hands in the air or little fist in the air. They'll give you an indication that, oh my gosh, that would be real funny for me and I might be more motivated to try to imitate this rather than a more functional word. And so I love exclamatory words with kids. And if you marry that with the next level, which is doing verbal routines, meaning that you say the same things and do the same, use the same exclamatory word from activity to activity to activity so that a child begins to expect that every time you clap and look real excited that you're going to say, yay, it makes it more likely that he'll try to imitate that. And so I use exclamatory words, even when I, even by accident, even when I'm not really meaning to use exclamatory words. They're just part of my routine vocabulary that I use when I talk with young children. And I think most adults who are innately good with young children do the same thing. If you'll listen to their speech, they're Lots of things that they say, you know, if they're swinging with a child, you hear them saying, wee, whoa, woo. You'll hear a lot of those little kind of words. And, again, they're made with the same consonants and vowels that children will need to use more functional words or real words. So you're you're working towards speech. You're getting them there. But the reason exclamatory words work are that heightened affect and that emotional component and no other there's just no other way to really capture that a kid is at this level is not able to say oh my gosh that was incredible you know that he needs to say something like wow or even a, a little holistic phrase like oh boy is going to be just as meaningful as that full sentence later on and you talk about heightened affect a lot Kate and don't you think exclamatory words really start to convey that for kids well before they're able to do a lot of more traditional words absolutely I was going to until you already gave the answer I was thinking and why is it why is it that they work and then I was answering my own question in my head because if you think about it those are always 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 you're more excited you're more demonstrative you're really mm-hmm. and and we're that way pretty much from you know beginning to end of the session i hit the door yeah but there's something that well i guess you use them with things that tend to be very engaging with kids and a lot of times it's with there's some maybe 
slight bit of excitement involved, you mm-hmm. know, or, or exaggerated actions. And so, mm-hmm. yes, it, it really proves that point that we certainly um, believe in our heart of hearts is that if you can get a kid excited, you can get them aroused about whatever it is you're trying mm-hmm. to get him to do or attend to, you have a much better shot at getting him to pop out a word that relates to that. And those exclamatory words prove that over and over and over again. And to me, you know, when a kid says his first wow or wee or uh-oh or boom, I mean, that's as good as, you know, crocodiles. Like, we got something, you know, because yeah. those are the kids, you, when you hear those for the first time, pretty much there hasn't been a word before it or it's been so infrequent that you wouldn't even say he has the word, you know. Right. And if a mom tells me that her child says, "Uh uh-oh, occasionally, I use that and I think, okay, I'm going to elicit lots of or, or set up lots of circumstances today in therapy and model that a lot because if he said it a couple of times it's possible for him to say it again and so for a lot of these kinds of exclamatory words if, if a mom reports that he's done it before what you would want to do in therapy is make those words more consistent and you can always uh, with these kinds of things because most of the time um especially our children with motor planning issues, our kids who've been who are on the spectrum or who we suspect to be on the spectrum, they're going to be more likely to be able to imitate that and do that if they've already done it in the past. And if you can get it again to be associated with a familiar routine, which I hope we get to that point tonight to talk about why verbal routines work, it's even more likely that you'll really increase the consistency of the word. So anytime a mom tells you, oh, I've heard him say wow before, you know, you want to say, when did he say that? What was going on? You know, and figure out your context. And then then think about how you can do that in the session and then help mom think about that too. And anytime a mom tells me something like that or she says, I've heard these kinds of things, but they're every once in a while, I always try to help her figure out how she can make that happen more often. Because sometimes you do have to pretty much almost recreate the, the what caused that were to happen or occur in the first place, and that doesn't always work. I mean, sometimes a mom, and I hate it when a mom will say, oh, my gosh, listen to what he said this week. Tell her, tell her, tell her what you said. I mean, that guarantees that a kid will not be able to do it. (laughs) And half the time they look at mom like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But sometimes if you can really, a mom might say, we played with blah, blah, or we did this, and it this is when I heard it, you can almost, um, not almost always, but sometimes you can really recreate that and have more of a shot of hearing that word. Um, Let me just kind of review some of these exclamatory words. And again, there's a long list of these in the book, if you get that. But I really do try to, again, associate a lot of these with routines or with the same play activity or same de- uh, activity that we might do in a, uh, that I might recommend for a mom to do in daily routine. One that I do all the time is when we're eating snack, which I almost always do with a kid unless they're a picky eater or have some dietary restrictions or 
you know, some other kind of extraneous factor going on. I, I use food a lot, and we have talked about that a lot on the show, and I think it's very, very valid, and I think it's something that we should be helping parents learn how to do is really elicit language on whatever level a kid is we're working on in the context of a snack. And so for an exclamatory word here, you know, I do the mm, 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 mm. And if you've seen any of my DVDs, you'll recognize that because I can't stop myself from doing that. It's, again, my verbal routine. And shake my shoulders when I do it, kind of a little shimmy. So many times, even kids, before they're able to do the verbal part of that, they'll start to move their shoulders. And sometimes their mom will say, what is he doing? (laughs) Is he having a seizure? And I'm going, He's no. He's doing my routine. <laughs> Don't you recognize it? Yeah. He's trying to imitate. He's trying to do his shoulders. Look, that's what he's doing. And she's like, oh, yeah. So you'll see that start to come in. And, again, if you have done snack with a child week after week after week after week, you will start to hear that. And But you can't be boring when you model that. You've got to really, you know, get into it and be silly or cute or whatever word you want to use to describe yourself when you're doing it and, you know, be pretty animated. When I do it, I usually the first couple times lean right down into their faces and, you know, move my shoulders and I'm making my eyes really, really wide and big and I'm, you know, my lips are together but my whole face is smiling. And that, Mm -hmm. again, is really enticing and really engaging. And it's an easy sound. And the kid Mm -hmm. usually has his lips together because he's chewing. (laughs) When you're feeding him that snack, so you've got him in the right spot, and he's usually paying attention to you because he wants another snack, and he's sitting right there with you. So that's a great one to try to include. And it's one, again, that I do without even really realizing that I'm doing it. Some families say yummy or num, num, num or whatever whatever other snack kind of yummy words you have. But I like that one, and I think it's I think it's a cool one. And truth be told, it's one that you could have put back at level four with vocalizations or I think about mm, mm, mm as a word, even though it's really not. <laughs> it means mm, mm, give me another one. <laughs> yummy. I use it all the time, yeah. Implied um, is that it's also unhealthy, but we won't go there. It's just yummy, right? <laughs> yummy. That's all we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, so it's a good. Well, and Laura, I've had quite a few kids who, even who were really, for all practical purposes, nonverbal, who used that one before I ever saw them. That seems to be one that, that you know maybe moms do kind of universal. Yeah. yeah. Mm mm mm. You know, and they'll do it. You give them a cookie, and they're going mm mm mm. And I think we do that when we introduce spoon feeding to babies. Don't you uh-huh. remember trying to yeah. get your babies to eat bananas or rice cereal or whatever mm. you were feeding them at the beginning? <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're 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 leaned into their little faces. You've got the spoon right there, and you're saying, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So it is something they've heard for a long time, and it is easy. And if you will think about it, like I've already said, their posture, their little mouths are already set for that if their mouths are closed and they're chewing. So I think it's a great one to do. I, again, I, it's a given for me that I'm I'm modeling that one almost every session, every kid, with um, right at the beginning of therapy. Other exclamatory words that I use all the time, I cannot clap without saying yay. Can you? No. <laughs> I mean, even when I'm in an adult place when I clap, uh, sometimes I think, oh, it's just going to pop out before I even <laughs> stop myself. <laughs> it's just 
one that you do, and again, really look for and listen for a child's first attempts with yay, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard a child do oh, or something totally off from the A for yay, and I'll say to a mom, that's coming, that's what this is, and you can see the mom look at me like, yeah, right, or you are crazy, but over time, that is really what that vocalization becomes so that's another great one to do it's one that kids hear all the time i mean even on commercials right the television is on you'll you'll hear that well and even those kids who don't instinctively upon your first yay to them seem to really like it i've had so many kids even kids who you know had pretty significant social issues on the spectrum or whatever they learn to like it eventually, right. and I love when they start doing it and cueing me to like, hey, yeah. where's that yay? You know, yeah. Aren't you going to clap for me? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think it is funny when we create little praise junkies in therapy mm. uh, where they, everything, they want yay. And sometimes the mom will say, we are wearing that out. And you can fade it over time. And I think we've done a show a long time ago about – the people who say that you shouldn't really give a lot of praise, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I think for toddlers who are learning how to talk, I mean, this is a skill. And, and talking is hard for them. And talking is a skill, again, that they're working to acquire. And so many of the people that are against or anti-praise people, are, are they say that you're not going to really want to praise a child for things that aren't, and a comp for things that aren't work, you know, you want to praise a child for the process and for, you know, not necessarily end result. And you don't want to praise a child for innate things like, oh, she's so pretty or, you know, something like that. You want to really praise their effort. Well, what is there that's more praiseworthy for a kid who's been nonverbal than a kid who's trying to talk? I mean, that to me, when people use that, rationale and say they don't want to clap and cheer and really reward a kid for trying to talk, I think, boy, you have really misunderstood that whole initial argument. You know, they are those people who wrote those those recommendations and did those studies were not looking at this in this context. So I think we need to be really liberal with our praise with new talkers. Um, and, and eventually, you know, again, they start to get that internal motivation to talk and that internal feedback and I love it and that's just what happens when you said when a kid starts prompting you to cheer for him I think boy Mm -hmm. he's got it (laughs) he knows I've worked hard and I accomplished this and I did great and I want somebody else to tell me now so I love it I think it's great and yay certainly fits that criteria and is an easy one to work into um your and you can work at a you know every activity you do in therapy you can model this and heaven only knows that's the truth (laughs) (laughs) everyone well a lot of times when when that happens where the kids giving me the yay or they're clapping and looking at me like hey you forgot your part i do kind of a lot of times think with me it's appropriate sometimes because either a i'm talking to the mom about something or b i've gone a little bit flat and i'm not mm-hmm. really as responsive as i need to be and i usually right. use it as a reminder yep you're right you know uh-huh. you're calling me back and i re-engage yeah he's like mm, thanks for the reminder i have kind of lost you or lost myself in this session so 
Yeah, and they're telling you, I need this to keep going. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I need, this motivates me. You cheering for me makes me want to do it again and try harder. So when they give it to me, it does make me amp it up. And I always think, you're right, I wasn't quite with you. You know, you caught me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Isn't it funny when our friends do that? Uh, yeah, and there too. <laughs> I know. Okay. You think, boy, he's got a lot more going on than I've been giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think it's great. I love it when that happens. Other ones that are fun to do. Uh, boo is always really fun in the context of peekaboo, and then I use boo for lots of other things when we're playing that relate to me acting like I'm scaring the toy that we're playing. If I'm playing with a farm or a barn with a kid, I almost always will lean down and put myself on the other side of the barn door or the window or whatever and say, boo, you know, really, um, really fast. And, you know, again, do it where they're not really anticipating it. And then after that, you know, you make it part of the, the routine where they really anticipate that you're about to say that. So, Think about different ways that you could use boo, especially if a child is really alerting to that during peekaboo and seems to like that and seems to be right on the verge of wanting to say that. Boo is another one that I can get pretty quickly. And don't you hide things in your hands all the time or under your shirt or under a kid's shirt or under a leg and then jerk it out and say, boo. I mean, I do that all the time, don't you? I don't, not necessarily, to be honest. I like it, but I can't say I really, I hide things a lot. Usually in their shirts, sometimes in mine, but I do the hiding a lot. I don't necessarily do the boo with it. What do you say when you bring it out? Uh, A lot of times it's balls, you know, or some object. I guess I say the the name of the object. Yeah. I say, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ball, ball, ball. And then if he gets it or I get it, I say ball, but I don't necessarily say boo with it. I think I do that, too, but I think if I'm thinking about that a kid is at this level and I've made a conscious decision that this is what we're working on and this is this is where I'm going to meet this kid, I think I do boo a lot. And, I again, it's something you can do all through the session with lots of activity. So if you were playing with a puzzle, you could hide the piece in your hand or even, you know, put it on the floor and put your hand over it and say, where's truck, where's truck, boo. You could do that. Right. Um, If you were, let's see, let's think of another context. If you were playing with that big ball, that what is that ball called? I always mispronounce it. Hoberman. Hoberman. I always say, I don't know what I say. I don't say Hoberman. I think I say Haberman. That's one name you can't get, huh? For some reason, (laughs) that's stuck in my head from years ago. (laughs) Hoberman, Hoberman, Hoberman. I need to say it ten times. That's one you could use boo with. I think you could use boo, you know, if a, if you've lost a kid's attention, even putting your hands in front of your face and, you know, doing a quick boo like you're doing a really modified peekaboo. That would be one that you could get and do. And I have a lot of a lot of luck with that one and lots of kids like it and think it's think it's really, really funny. And again, you want to be sure that when you're getting this in a session that you're talking to mom about it and you're saying we're using exclamatory words as a little step on our way to teaching him how to imitate words, and these words are fun, and these words are exciting, and today he said boo, yay, and mm-mm-mm, so let's talk about when you can say boo, yay, and mm-mm-mm this week 
to make that really fun for him and make it likely that that word will become consistent. And that's when you really start to see progress with the kid. It's when you can get mom to buy into that and for her to build on the successes that you used in therapy and be able to carry those over the next week. And so then when you go back for your next visit, you say, okay, how did he do? How did he do with mm, 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 yay and boo? How did you do with those exclamatory words? Tell me, tell me what you did. How'd it go? And so you're going right back in and starting where you left off. And, And again, those will be words because you've heard them before. Don't start out with a new set of goals every single time you go. You build on your previous successes. And so you would start with the same or similar toys that you could use or activities that you could use those words with. And that's how you build success from week to week. And when you have a kid that's using some of those exclamatory words, you're not just happy with two or three and then think, okay, he's got it. Let's move on to the next goal. You really want to build that. So if he has a couple of exclamatory words, you look for new exclamatory words. Sometimes I do that with looking at what sounds a child used in a word that already, like if he's already saying boo, then I'm going to try to get him to say boom. Or I would try to get him to, you know, look at a little cut or a bruise or something on him and say, oh, that's your boo-boo. Again, you're you're taking the information that you know about him, you know the sound he can produce, and you're trying to elicit words that sound really, really similar because you know he has a better chance of um, being able to say it because he's got the sound in another word. Sometimes that's hard to do, though. It's hard to kind of think about that on the fly if you're not used to thinking about it that way. And I, you know, we've had this discussion in other contexts, and you've helped me out on kids before with helping to troubleshoot, well, where could I go when I'm kind of stuck with specific kids? And I guess my approach is less systematic. I do all those exclamatory things early and push and push and push them and usually get a pretty nice variety Mm -hmm. um, because kids, those are so easy and so motivating, and kids get those pretty easily. Sometimes it can be kind of hard to get mom on board with, this is wonderful. They want, like, you know, right. <laughs> elephant. It's like, well, we got to be happy with Boo right now because right. <laughs> Boo is way more than he had a week ago, so let's celebrate Boo. We'll work towards elephant. But, you know, haven't you had those moms? They're like, oh, exactly. yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Not but they'll really. say, that's not a real word. That's mm-hmm. not a real word, Laura. Come on. I can't count that as a word. And I say, yes, you can. <laughs> if you can spell it, it's a word. And again, you're moving toward, you're moving toward that. But how many kids have we seen? Almost all of them, You don't, they're not ready to do. No single functional words on the first day or even in the first few weeks of therapy. I mean, I think it's a gift. If I can get a kid to really imitate a lot of new words on the during the eval or during the first few weeks, I, I take it as a gift. I think, oh, my gosh, that's incredible because it's not usually this easy. Uh, a little guy that I'm seeing right now, I've told his mother that. I only see him a couple of times a month, and this last time that I saw him, that's what I said to her. He is my gift right now because it doesn't always go this well. I mean, this is best-case scenario. The first day I saw him, he said a lot of words, and he really was minimally verbal before that. In every session, it's more and more and more, and 
you know, I I think on on some levels she's a wonderful mom and she certainly recognizes his success, but I just want her to know it doesn't always go that easy. And so for lots of our easily or come that easily for a lot of kids and so for a lot of moms we have to back them way up and really talk about all those in between steps. And have those discussions so that they're really recognizing their children's efforts and they give them credit where credit is due. And if you have not heard boo before, ooh, we need to be excited and celebrate that. <laughs> it is good. But let's think about it from a phonological perspective. Okay, if he's got boo, he can do a consonant vowel. And if we break it down even more, he's got he can do an initial consonant that's a bilabial. And so then I would think, okay, even beyond boo-boo and boom and things that are really, really similar, then I'm still thinking about, okay, what are my other similar sounds? Okay, that's a lip sound. That's a bilabial. Let me think about words that start with P and exclamatory words that start with uh, M because they're related. And even maybe a W because they're, they're sounds he can make with his lips. And I know that he's more likely to be able to do that. And so sometimes you do have to be a little bit more specific. Now, I'm like you too, Kate. I say I use these exclamatory words all the time, even without planning to use them. But if I have a kid that it's not working very well with and they're not giving me a whole lot of variety, that's what I always fall back to is let me analyze from a sound perspective what right. they can do and see if I can get something else that's similar to that. And that method really works for right. a lot of kids. But But you don't need to be so tied into that that you only, that you think, okay, I'm only going to do, bi- you know, initial bilabial exclamatory words. I would never say that. I would just say that think about it, especially for a kid that seems to be stuck. If you're not getting very many, right? that would be what you do. And so if you have a kid that would, that can do, you know, a wow, and I almost always, I love that exclamatory word, and I almost always model it really breathy, like wow, mm-hmm. and, you know, almost a whisper because it makes it more exciting. But when I get a kid that can do that, I'll think, okay, what are my other words that are similar? What else could he do that's kind of a lip-rounding consonant there? Okay, I'm going to do wee, I'm going to do whoa, I'm going to do woohoo, you know, and think about and really see if I can get those other things too. Sometimes that doesn't work, but more often than not it really does, especially if you're, again, setting it up and using it in the right way. You know, of course you can't sit there and say to a kid, okay, you said wee, now let's say wow, now let's say woo, now let's, you know, you can't do that. It's got to be in the context you of can't. play. Oh, <laughs> you've never done that a day in your life. No, I'm not that analytical. I just hit the ground running you and try play. for the next one. But I could see some therapists maybe saying it now and again. Okay, that's why I said it. I yeah, know why it's you not said a it. word list. It. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a word list. It's not a word that you would have a child in the high chair, and then you would say, okay, last week you said this, and this week I want you to say this. You can't do it that way. It's got to be in the context of really fun play. And sometimes you have to, again, come up with something that might not make very much sense to an adult, but a two-year-old thinks it's hysterical, and you're able to interject a new exclamatory word that way. I mean, how many times do you pretend like you're hurt or pretend like you're crying or pretend like, you know, you know, or other things that are totally not feasible? You do it because it works for the toddler, and he gets it, and you're able then to model what you want to model. All right, other words that are 
that fit into this category can be animal noises that you can spell, like moo and quack and tweet, tweet, those kinds of things. And, again, we talked about this when we were talking about level four. A lot of parents will not even tell you that a kid does a noise or makes an animal sound because they forget that that really is um, a word attempt. So you might have to pull that out of parents. But any time a, a kid seems to like that and is really into that, boy, that's something that I try to do and try to get as many different little animal sounds like that as possible. And I, I think you do that too, Kate, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. Again, I feel like, well, for so many of our kids, regardless of what the underlying issues may be, this whole imitation piece is non-existent. So any time right. I can get a kid to imitate... Any sound, any right. verbal anything, to me it's a woohoo moment. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. We'll put that on the list. And you do see as they do it, you know, they begin to seem to kind of understand it and enjoy it. And you know, mm-hmm. then you can bump them up as as you've got them. But you got to hook them first. And for some kids, it's animal sounds. And even kids who sometimes parents will say, oh. We tried those a long time ago, but he didn't really act like he liked them, or she didn't really seem like she liked them. I've found a, a lot of times it's because they couldn't do it back then. Right, right. They weren't ready to do it yet. You know, moms think mm-hmm. babies do that at 10, 12 months, and a lot of times they do. But language-delayed kids don't necessarily do it at 10 or 12 months. They may do it at 24 or 26 or even right. 28 months. Right. So if you reintroduce it, haven't you had moms say that where they say, well, totally. you know, yeah. we tried that, and he just didn't like it. And I think, well, if you can't do it, you kind of sit there and watch and think that's not so much fun, you know. Yeah, I, and we've talked about this before. I don't do things I'm not good at. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I bought this <laughs> weighted hula hoop in my effort to lose weight. Here before I realize I can't do it. Yeah, I know. But, but once they yeah. can or they're, be- they're beginning, and I usually try those pretty early on because it's something that generally I can usually get some, you know, some – gross approximation of quack quack or moo or whatever and to me even in the beginning even if their quack quack is so far off that only i would know that they were trying to do quack quack it's a huge success they're trying exactly and so you want to really reinforce that sometimes moms will say oh he doesn't really like animals and i'll think Mm -hmm. well he hasn't played with me with animals and i'm going to give it a shot before we Mm -hmm. decide that that's not going to be something we play with i read this blog that another speech pathologist wrote um oh gosh this is probably several weeks ago and i don't even remember who it was and I, i wouldn't even say her name if i did remember but she said she really didn't get the whole focus on animals and i i'm sure she was from new york city or chicago or something like that now be careful <laughs> really urban is my point i'm not going i'm not going anything other than urban that a child might not see an animal but children are toddlers and young children are so drawn to animals they really really like them and so and that's that's kind of a universal appeal. I mean, even if you're looking at books for children in French and in German and in Spanish, right. guess what? There's still a dog there. There's still mm-hmm. a cat. There's still a bird. I mean, kids really like that. So uh, if you have been with that train of thought, like, animal sounds aren't important. No, it's, you know, truth be told, it is not really important if a child can on command tell you what sound the cow makes if there's never a chance that the child will see a real live cow in his whole life. But the skill here is learning how to imitate and 
staying engaged with you, and I think animals are a great way, even though they may not be totally 100% functional, in that a child's, you know, going to use the word horse, you know, on an everyday basis if he doesn't But here in Kentucky, that that's a pretty relevant <laughs> word. Oh, yeah, horse so, is a relevant word kind in of Kentucky. Important. How do you go to the Derby and not know what a horse is? <laughs> or see all his commercials on TV. So, yeah, I mean, don't be afraid to stick with that because I know, again, with all this stuff about evidence-based practice and functional blah, 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 kids like animals. That's why you use it. And, again, the skill you're teaching is imitation here. So don't get all off track and not think well, that you've you been Well, and you know, Laura, it's on my specific Specifically, I use the Hawaii Early Learning Profile still, which is, you know, an assessment tool, and it is specifically on there. Can they do the animal sounds? Do they match the animal sounds to the animals? And I think that's what this blog was about. It was about how antiquated this person felt Uh like some of those assessment things were, and Uh that, again, for a child's relevant daily experience, it really didn't matter if a kid knew that a cow said moo. Right. And I understand that, and I get that. Well, I I mean, I would say still that that is a pretty universal thing that parents do. Right. You know what I mean? Most parents, I think, even those parents who say, well, Johnny doesn't really like animals or animal sounds, they did, in fact, try to do them. I think parents, that's kind of like patty cake, at least in the United States. They know that you do animal sounds with kids, and, hey, they have a dog and a cat, so it's pretty obvious, you know, that Sure. You know, so I guess it's, you know, tradition here. I think it is tradition, and I think it's because children are naturally drawn, and they're Mm -hmm. excited by and interested in. So I Mm -hmm. do think it's a worthwhile thing. But, again, don't get so wrapped up in all that, oh, I have to be so politically correct or whatever, (laughs) um, that that you don't recognize that value. Other things that kids can do here, and we talked about this back in level four with vocalizations with car sounds, you know, some of those words like, you know, you can't really spell when it's that kind of car noise, but a lot of them you can, like boom and crash and um, help me think of beep, beep, you know, those kinds of vocalizations that you would use with cars and trucks and, you know, trains, woo, woo, you can spell that, so it's technically an exclamatory word. Uh, but those kinds of sounds are in this category, or those were early words are in this category too. So you, <clears throat> excuse me. So you go with what a child likes, and then you try to come up with whatever exclamatory word will fit that activity choice. And sometimes you do have to think about it. That's when I think the book is going to be such a great tool for a lot of therapists because that work is there, and you can just copy those pages. There's a one-page chart at the end, and I emailed that to you today, Kate, that I hope right. people will use that for a cheat sheet. I mean, what? and I've been wagging this material around with me forever, and I've gotten and I'm so excited now it's all finally in chart form, but I can really see myself, you know, copying that sheet for parents and giving it to them and saying, okay, now, our goal right now, we're at level five, and we're doing exclamatory words, and this is a whole list of words, and let's think about how you could use these words, and especially for your moms who aren't naturally animated. I mean, your moms that are pretty flat, and your moms that right. are pretty unexcitable, the moms you just want to shake, it's like, come on, are you in there? <laughs> you know, that list would be really, really good, because sometimes you could say to them, I want you to do words like wow and uh-oh, and you know what, a week later, that's all they've said to their kid, because they can't really come up with anything more than that. <laughs> you know, that's, 
so this will be a great tool. And it's a good tool for therapists, too, who haven't really thought about this as a real therapy goal and a real level to work at. You know, so it's taking a little bit of that um, creativity and guesswork out of it for people who need that extra crutch. Uh, so I hope that the chart will be helpful for those you know, Laura, situations. I do think, because I probably you have traditionally replaced speech therapists, so you've seen it, and I still um, work on some teams with speech therapists. And I do think that a lot of speech therapists kind of skip a lot of that. I think they go right yeah. in for the gusto with the words. And some kids Mm -hmm. just aren't there. Aren't ready. And that's why they'll say, he didn't make any progress for nine months, and all of a sudden he's saying words now. Woohoo, I'm so excited. And I'll think, gosh, what was he doing during that nine months? He was doing these in-between steps that if you had worked on the right thing at the right time in the right way, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. might have gotten there a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. Because they do skip all of these things. And it's, I mean, the theory is there. Every speech-language pathologist on some level, knows this, meaning that they know that sometimes children need those in-between steps and that we can't always get to, you know, single words, a lot of our single words that we are using for children, cookie, cracker, or multisyllabic, you know, two syllables there. They're not mommy, daddy. Uh, They're not thinking that, gosh, this kid can't do all those sounds in a row yet, so I need to back him way up, but they're just not quite sure how to do that. So they might try to do nonsense syllables, or they'll say, I'm going to have him imitate a babble or imitate a consonant vowel, non-syllable, nonsense syllable. (laughs) That's crazy. You can do it with this, and it makes so much more sense, and it's so developmentally appropriate and so much fun for parents. Well, Um, sometimes... They think they could do it. They just won't do it. I love that one. For nine months, he wouldn't do it. (laughs) I wore him down. He was so stubborn. He was so lazy. He was so blah, blah. You know, and that's treating a a speech-language delay like it's a behavior or like it's a choice, and it is not. It is a skill deficit. And that's how we have to look at it. And we and it's so bad when a therapist looks at it like that because guess what? That parent is learning from you. Then the parent adapts that same attitude too. And I just think it's terrible when we label toddlers at, with and give them such a negative uh, label like lazy or stubborn or hard-headed or, you know, I hate it when we do that to a kid who has his whole blank book ahead of him for his whole life, but we have somehow made him believe on some level at two that he is really bad and really not able to do it. And I hate when we do that. It's it's terrible when a parent does it, but, oh, my gosh, I think a therapist, a professional that does it, oh, that's and it does happen. And, and a lot of times in conjunction with that, the parent, typically the mother, because she generally is the one who's with them the most even now, gets the label or the um, – negative uh, association with, and you meet his every need, so why would he talk? And I right. the other one that I think, oh, I, know, I met I my kids' eat. every needs, and they talked to Blue Streak. They told me how I was wrong all day long, what, which cup they wanted, which cereal they wanted. I thought I knew, but turns out I didn't know. Yeah, that's the other one that exactly. goes hand in hand with he's, why would this he is, talk? Yeah. Right. This is behavior. He would talk if you um, didn't meet his every need or if you weren't so stubborn, he would talk. And I think, right. you know, stubborn kids talk. It doesn't you know, matter and I, I, get, 
I get a ton of emails about that, and sometimes people have gone that next step. They've withheld food and drinks from their children mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they'll say, you know, I've gone 16 hours without giving him anything to drink. I mean, I cannot believe sometimes how honest people are when they email me, but they pretty much will tell me anything, I guess, because there's well, some level know, of anonymity in there. Defense, if somebody was telling you, that mm-hmm. he's not talking because you're doing it wrong. You're giving him what he right. wants every time. And you, if you believe that, and sometimes parents right. do believe that, then they think they're going to buy gum. They're going to be a good parent and deprive the kid. So that right. he says it. You know, but this I is when I get what. the email. It's when mm-hmm. they say, but that hasn't worked, and I'm writing to you in total desperation mm-hmm. because it seems like, You've answered all these other parents. <laughs> I've read all this stuff on your website. I, you, if there's a chance that you will email me back today, I would really appreciate it. I mean, I get some heart Yeah, because getting dehydrated and the next right. stop is the hospital. Right, and yeah. I want to—I always say, stop what you're doing right now and feed him. <laughs> Put the computer down. Put your phone down. You're stop. In a sippy that cup, is not and the I'll way to do you. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're exactly right, though. They're doing it because they don't know what else to do, because what they've done hasn't worked. And they're so desperate to try something new that they'll do things that in their heart of hearts, if they thought about it, they would think, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't do that. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Well, and And if the speech therapist tells them that, why wouldn't they believe it? It sounds, well, they're the experts, so I guess it was my fault. I gave them everything you wanted. Right. And that just so isn't true. It's so not any true. parent listening or therapist, right. don't right. say it and don't believe it. It isn't true. And there's a lot of really kind of dangerous advice as far as, um, we probably don't even have time to get into this, but, and I probably shouldn't say the book name for fear of being sued, but the whole, the movements that, the whole mo- parenting movements that say that you really have to teach a child to be, um, you know, totally not, um, uh, what word am I looking for here? That they have to be obedient, that they have to be, that they are being oppositional to you. And so you have to really do these things or they're not going to end up and be a good person. Or you're going to have a mass murderer on your hand or you're going to have a you know child who doesn't uh, respect authority or who, you know, all these crazy things that you just want to say, you know, look, it's not about that. If he could talk, he would talk. I mean, that's what happens when you put the right things in place when the child's system matures and you facilitate that with all of these strategies. He talks. And there's some kids who are not going to get there. I mean, there's some kids who are so significantly affected by whatever that they have cognitive issues, you know, they have real, and again, Kate, we talk about this all the time, nobody wants to say brain damage anymore, but they have damaged systems that, for who talking, when we're seeing them at two or at three, is not a realistic goal yet because they're developmentally not there. We're not talking about those kids, but we're talking about the kids who are, who are getting there. And when we put the right strategies in place, they talk. And so we just have to really help parents look at that in a different way and reframe and they it. And may I mean, be stubborn, too, but <laughs> they're talking. You know, that's right. the thing. It's like uh, I had a mom, a new kid this week, and cute little girl. She has a four-year-old who talks a blue streak and a baby who seems to be doing great, and the middle kid, mm. pretty much nonverbal, a couple words, but she, you know, her play was good, her attention was good, her social responses were good, her... Um, 
prerequisite stuff for speech was good. I mean, it's as far as gesture use, all that was good, 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 good. And she started, and cute mommy telling me, oh, she's really stubborn. And finally, I the light bulb went off, and I said, do you mean that's why she's not talking? Yes. I said, it's not that. She could be yeah. stubborn. I don't know her well enough yet to say, but it's not that. You know, that's not why she's not that's talking. That's not the reason, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and those same kids, when they do learn how to talk, those are the kids that are, like you were talking about before, they're stomping their feet and telling you, no, I'm not going to say it, you know, when you... <laughs> You know, when you're working on something higher level or yeah. I'm Tell not, me all of it. I'm not no doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you think, aha, that really stubborn wasn't the reason she wasn't talking because she's still stubborn and yet she's talking. Yeah, so, but a yeah, lot yeah. of parents go to that. That's why Oh, not. they go to that right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, even people like it, even pediatricians will tell you that. Uh, people, the cashier at Walmart will tell you that. I mean, it is such, oh, I wish I could debunk that myth more than anything else. Late talking is a skill deficit, and you have to work on it like that. And I've had a lot of mothers pretty much break down and cry when I say, that's not it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're so relieved that somebody is, Telling them, oh, my gosh. You know, on one hand, a lot of moms really are upset when you're telling them, oh, my goodness, this is a developmental issue. But haven't you had parents that are totally relieved yeah. that you're telling them that? And you say, you know, gosh, that's why I'm here, and I'm going to help you. And, you know, I don't guarantee when a kid's going to talk ever, but things are looking pretty good, and here's why, and here's what we're going to do. And I really think overall we're going we're gonna to have a pretty good outcome here. And mm-hmm. so I've had moms just look totally completely relieved you can see all the stress and all of the frustration go away and on some level they're feeling like you know it's not real he's not really stubborn because you know this has somehow been related to i'm not a good enough mother and so all of that all of that emotional stuff is tied up in that and so you have to really help them understand that that's not it and that this is a skill issue and when we put all the things in place that kids really do talk. The whole introduction section of the new book is a discussion about this kind of thing, and it's a discussion about how, oh gosh, late talkers, there are as many profiles for late talkers as there are children who have language delays, speech language delays. Every kid really does have different nuances, and there are so we can really look at late talkers. They're not this, uh, you know, a, a group of children that are the same. I mean, so many kids for so many different reasons can be like talkers, but you've got to figure out what's going on and kind of address those things. But imitation is the core skill that's missing in every kid that's a light talker. You know, if they were imitating words, you wouldn't be there. Right. It would have already like moved on. The little girl that I saw, her, first of all, they had introduced more at the eval, and she was using more. I said, are you using any other signs? No, I don't really know any. So yeah. I did please. I did open. I did eat. I did, well, mm-hmm. she picked them up fast, and she was trying right. to say the words. And I so mean, she I was is saying, art. Right. Yeah. She was totally with it. Of course, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, good, an easy one. You know? <laughs> this is going to be great. My gift, my gift. Yeah. Really, got to <laughs> love these speech kids, man. Yeah, she was really and took to it, and I was telling the mom, they don't always do this well. Right. But when you looked at your hierarchy or whatever, what do you call it, Laura? 
with all your levels? Uh, hierarchy levels, whatever. I'm not picky about what you call it. I, it's, okay. it's still so new to me. I don't really have a name, but go ahead. Well, when hierarchy. I, you know, when I looked back on it and thought, okay, where was she? Well, she was already pretty high on that, as far as mm-hmm. her play, as far as her social right. stuff, as far as you know, right. all the. What did she imitate with play? Darn near everything. What did she mm-hmm. imitate with gestures? Mm, a lot, you know. So and she did sign I'm, so well, so she doesn't have a she doesn't have trouble with that. She's just got to have you just got to teach her what to do. She can do it. Right. But so sign. I knew yeah. pretty early on. Ooh, you know. And as much as I love all the other kids that I see for various reasons, it is nice now and again to get a kid who's pretty close to ready, and you don't have to build all those foundational skills. Right. She already has them. So this is like, whew, right. fun. Here we go. Yeah. Did she I'm going to enjoy any, this one. I know. Could she do anything vocally yet? Could she do any early uh, vocalizations? or? Oh, yeah. She, she, kinda... was tr- she was saying more. She was saying, oh, oh I mean, they she were. she was saying more. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah. She And wow. I could tell, and from what Mom said, that, she had done better with me, but I think it was, you know, tons of repetition, tons of modeling, right. using right. that animated southern voice that I'm so <laughs> fond of. All those things worked beautifully for her, even on day right. one. Right. And so, oh, she'll yeah, be fine. She, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a yeah. cute little thing. She'll be a lot of fun. Well, that'll be good. Well, you'll have to give her up. You'll have to give us updates on her. With yeah. how she does. And, you know, with her, even kids like that, if I know I've already gotten them imitated words, I'm imitating words, I'm certainly going to stay at words because they're already there. Mm-hmm. But with some of those kids, it's kind of fun to go back and help them kind of build in these other things, like adding some animal sounds and adding mm-hmm. some, you know, exclamatory words. And we'll talk about verbal routines next week. I can't believe we only got through one level today. Well, and sometimes, Laura, don't you go back because, Yes. I mean, I do, so I know you do. Like, I'll think, okay, I've never heard a long E sound, so right. I'll see if I can't get it in wee or right. wee or something. A lot of times sure. you can, and then they kind of got work it. And you them back yeah. up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly uh, what you do with this kind of thing. And it, do, it does kind of sometimes for some kids, you can lunge ahead like that, but then some kids you'll get – and they'll kind of stall out. They may get six or seven words, and you can't get anything else for a week or two, and you think, what's wrong? And for those kids, I always back up and think, mm-hmm. let me start at something that would be easier for him. Or or a kid's having a bad day. They're just off. Their motor planning is terrible, or their sensory system is just horrible on a day. And you'll think, okay, what could I get today? Let me back up to this level five stuff or this level four stuff where I'm doing a lot of just vocalizations. Will he pant like a dog? Okay, great. Now will he say woof, woof, woof? Yes, he will. And so <laughs> then you just kind of move him forward from there. And a lot of times that's how knowing and understanding all of these in-between steps will will just really, for a lot of therapists, I think it's going to fill in the gaps, too. And certainly for moms who don't think about speech and language in this way, it'll be a nice way for a lot of people to kind of have a foundation or have a framework to really look at speech language as a more sequential process than they had before. Right. So I hope you'll be successful with that. All right, so today we did exclamatory words. Yay! That was fun. <laughs> Woohoo! So next week we're going to talk about verbal routines. And, Kate, you were so great to share your little song with um, 
the animal hospital would take the key and open door, open door, and open door. And good thing I used it. to be embarrassed to sing it in somebody's living room, and now I do it on the podcast. Good thing I don't have to see people who, who know I do this, or I'd be embarrassed. But yeah. And I think people are singing that now. Maybe people who are still walking on that treadmill or walking the trail are going to be singing this little song until through the rest of their walk to get them back home today. But, yeah, that was cute. But that's what we're talking about with verbal routines. So this week, when you are seeing your boatload of kids, why don't you think about verbal routines that you do, and we'll talk about those next week and what toys we work that in with, and uh, we'll just talk about how we use verbal routines in sessions because this might be some a thing that people are doing a little bit of, but if they did more of it, they'll start to see some more success with their clients and with their own children. Sounds Sound good? good. Okay. Thanks so much. I'm glad we're back in the routine. It was we're fun. We're there. Okay, thanks. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.